fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with wrong, wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So, I invite Brandon. All right, let's dive in. Sorry, that's, that's a joke for those who came last week. So if you don't get it, sorry, you should have been here. <laughs> who is wise and understanding among you? That's how James is going to open this one. Every week it's a new, as Sam put it last week, a blow. He, uh, James is never really holding back the punches in the way that he goes about his text. So he asks us, who is wise and understanding among you? A bit of a rhetorical question. So this passage is clearly going to be dealing a lot with wisdom. And I think it's fair to say that all of us would like to be considered wise. We'd like to raise our hand and say, yeah, I'm, I'm considered wise and understanding among us. But uh, we at least certainly don't want to be the other side, right? We don't want to be considered fools, a verse that, uh, this was something that I always, growing up, I was always really drawn to this idea of being wise. And uh, a verse that I, my, growing up in my house, we read the Proverbs and the Psalms every morning before school and uh, required, whether we wanted to or not. And one that I always found really interesting when dealing with wisdom that uh, I'll, I'll extend to you guys as an advice it's Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. It says, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. It's pretty strong advice. And even if we... Uh, this ties in with what we looked at last week. And uh, James talks about the dangers and the, the tongue and how it's so... Uh, all kinds of evil come from the tongue. It's a fire that consumes. And... Uh, here in this proverb, we see this kind of almost humorous way of saying that even if you just don't talk, you can at least look like, you're, like you know what you're talking about. You can at least look wise if we learn to keep our mouths shut. And uh, I think uh, what a world it would be if we all learned when to keep our mouths shut sometimes. As we looked at last week, we can at least appear wise. So the text is going to look at two types of wisdom that, that James presents to us. A true wisdom, a good wisdom, a godly wisdom, a wisdom that comes down from above. This is the better one. It's the one I think we'll all want to choose in the end, I hope. And the other is an earthly, unspiritual, and it even goes as far as to say demonic. And then it says wisdom, wisdom in parentheses. Like, yeah, it's not really wisdom, is it? This is really a worldly foolishness that sometimes parades itself as wisdom. So these types of wisdom, and I believe all types of wisdom, are defined, are categorized by where they come from. Where are they, what are they rooted in? 
What's the source of the wisdom? And our plan for today, we won't spend too much time. At uh, the end of service today, we're going to take communion. And so we want to examine just these two types of wisdom that are given here in the text. First, though, we want to look at earthly wisdom, which again is more just a kind of worldly, earthly foolishness that parades itself as wisdom. And then second, we'll finish by trying to get a little glimpse. The Bible is full of God's wisdom, full of godly wisdom. There's all of the book of Proverbs, so we could spend weeks talking about the wisdom found in the Bible. But we're going to just take a glimpse at understanding godly wisdom or true wisdom and how it's the better choice for us. And where do these types of wisdom come from exactly? How do we attain them? Again, hoping for the godly wisdom in our lives. And then the more pressing question is, how do we know which of the two we have in our own lives now? Which one are we? do we possess? Are we considered wise by the world standards? Are we worldly wise? Are we wise from in an earthly sense or in a godly sense? James is writing this for a reason. The people there... We're dealing with this issue. They thought themselves wise. And we looked at last week how he's, really, he's addressing specifically the teachers in this area. But it applies to all of us. There are those of us that might think that we're wise or think that we have a wisdom. And James is saying that your wisdom may be a false type of wisdom. A false understanding of what wisdom even really is. So let's look at false wisdom. What does James tell us that this false wisdom looks like? What are some of its attributes? Well, he's very clear in verse 14. If you harbor bitter envy, which is basically jealousy, I think is an easier term, and selfish ambition, which is all just uh, all-encompassing selfishness, if you have these things in your heart, if these things make up who you are in your heart, then this is an earthly wisdom. This is a false wisdom and a foolishness. And we'll often find that the force behind our actions, especially our negative actions, that we think are wise, are usually rooted in these two, specifically, in jealousy and in selfishness. So where does it come from? Envy, selfish ambition, Masked as wisdom. Where is this rooted? Well, the answer is simple. It's in us. It comes from within. The world that we're born into is a fallen world. It's a messed up world. It's a broken world. And we're born into it. This is a a part of who we are. This is a part of our flesh. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We're born into this sin. We're born into this place where we possess a deceitful heart. And David says it even more clearly in uh, Psalms 51.5 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He's saying even from the moment I was born, the moment I was conceived, I had sin in me. I was already sinful. We already had this selfishness in us. It it comes with the territory. And I think it's pretty easy to think about this practically. I mean, how many of you remember that day when you finally learned how to be selfish? How proud your parents probably were at your accomplishments? No. We don't remember that day. Or how about the day that you're taught to be jealous, that you finally figure out that it's better to want the other kids' toys? He gets it. Or she gets it. We're not, we don't remember this because we're not taught it. It's not something that we have to learn. We don't have to learn how to be selfish. We don't have to learn how to be jealous. It's in our nature. And more importantly, it's our default. It's always what we're going to go to most naturally. This is important for us to know. We have to understand this in our lives. If we want to walk into wisdom, we need to first know where does the false wisdom come from. It comes from within. It's in our nature. When I go home, it's easy for me to want to make it all about me. You know, I mean, I had a long day. I just got off work. You know, I want to talk about my problems and my struggles. I need my needs to be met. We all do this. It's rooted in who we are. It's rooted in us. I may want to come home to dinner ready. You know, Bex is sitting there just waiting to hear about all of my problems. Josiah quietly laying down beside us. That's not life, is it? But that's our default. We want it to be about us. We we see ourselves as important. It's deep down we are wired. We are all wired this way. I want everyone in my home, in my home environment, to be centered around me, at my work. I want my ideas to be the first on the table. This is our default. Don't look at me like you're all just super holy and don't know what I'm talking about. We all have this as a default, to want to make it about ourselves. We want people to see us in our greatness, in our accomplishments, in our intellect, This is definitely an easy way for us to understand a selfishness. But I think we also can go the other way. We want people to see our smallness. We want people to to focus on our problems and how big they are and how, how, how much we're struggling and how much we need their attention, their pity, their attention to, to notice us, to, to hear us. We want to be heard. Everyone and everything is centered around me. Or it should be, right? This is a greedy part of who we are. I know every one of us can think of situations where we've made it about ourselves. It's we're the center of the situation. It's in us. So we need to know that. We need to address and understand and be aware 
that it is a default to go to selfishness, to make it all about us, to be self-centered, to find ourselves in any situation we face. And it's in our default to be jealous about everyone else's situations. And that can go in all kinds of ways. We can be jealous of people's good situations and how, uh, how blessed they are in this or that. We can also be jealous of people's problems. Oh, man, I wish I had bigger problems so that people would feel sorry for me more. It sounds crazy, but some people do this. It's all self-centeredness. It's all jealousy. It's all rooted in this. We need to fight against it because it's coming from within. And left unchecked, this can grow into something much more dangerous. This is the, the foolishness we're born with. And this is, this is the image that James is trying to paint for us in what, the way that he lays it out. He says it's, it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James is talking about a progression. It grows. It becomes something more if we just ignore it or buy into it. So what does these mean? Earthly? Well, this is what we're talking about now. If you're born on earth, then it's a part of who you are because you're born into the fall. At least in this age that we live in, we're all born with sin in our hearts. We're all born into this problem of selfishness and jealousy. So it's earthly, comes with us. It's unspiritual. This is the next step. This is where it leads because it goes against God's way. It goes against who God is. And it goes against the spirit of God that's been placed within us. Paul says this well in all of Galatians 5, but I'll read verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so so that you are not to do whatever you want. We are in Christ, and in Him we have a new spirit placed within us. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. But the desires of the flesh are still there. They don't just disappear. We still have that inherent selfish and selfishness and that jealousy. And if we aren't actively fighting this, if we aren't choosing to go the way of the Spirit, then we're going to find ourselves being pulled further and further away from God and His ways. It becomes unspiritual in the sense of ungodly. And lastly, he says, demonic. Now this, not only in the sense of when we leave this unchecked, we become capable of immense evil, if we are driven by envy and selfish ambition. Some heinous things have been done out of envy and selfish ambition. But we're also open to the lies that the enemy wants to feed us when we are walking in this direction. About others and about ourselves. If we're walking in selfishness, if we're walking in envy, in jealousy then we are just open to the devil to just give us little tiny things that we'll run with on our own. Because again, this is a part of who we are. He doesn't need to paint the whole picture for us. He just gives us an idea about how that other person has wronged you and 
deserves to be punished or how that person doesn't deserve to have what you should have. How you are better than they are or worse off than they are and so you deserve more. We all know these lies of envy and selfishness that we've been told about each other and how this can breed all kinds of dissension amongst us in God's family, in his church. We have to be careful not to be susceptible to believing those lies. And when we leave this unchecked, when we are unaware of it, of the dangers of it, we are. And this leads to all kinds of disorder, says James. In verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Think about it. Almost all crimes, all sins are rooted ultimately as a result of an unchecked jealousy or a selfishness. From stealing to lying, murder, you'll find often that they're rooted in a jealousy or a selfishness. And the reason I tied in the first three verses of four, because I think they fit better with this passage, and uh, chapter breaks aren't always the best. So I want to read, go through these first three verses of chapter four, where we see a kind of painting of an unchecked life of selfishness and jealousy some of the actions that are a result of this. So he starts in verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So here we see this battle within that we saw in Galatians. They have, we have what we, and Paul later in, in Galatians 5 talks about I, what I want to do, I, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I keep doing. There's this kind of battle that's happening within them. And he is taking it, I believe, further into what we saw in chapter 1 of James of double-mindedness. So it's not just that they're double, that they have these kind of this inner conflict. It's more that they don't know if they want to choose the right thing. <laughs> it's kind of one foot in the world and, and kind of one foot over here. They want the best of both worlds. And Paul I mean, uh, James in chapter 1 talks about them being thrown back and forth in the waves. They have no, there's no anchor. There's no foundation in them. They know that they're jealous of that person, but they still want to be jealous of that person. So the battle is not whether, whether am I, I'm trying to do right, but I keep falling. I'm not quite there yet. It's more of, I'm not sure if I want to do right, Maybe sometimes I'll, but this also feels good. And that's a double-mindedness, and it's a danger, and it only breeds quarrels and fights. Nothing good comes from it. In verse 2, he continues, You desire, but do not have, so you kill. And I read some commentaries about this. There's a lot of ideas, but uh, there was a kind of zealot movement where people were 
basically passionate about their doctrine, about what they believed had to be right, so much so that those who wavered, they would kill them. This is rooted in a pride and a selfishness that they only know what's right. In a dangerous way. And it bred, so it might have been literal killing, but I think we can also tie that in with any kind of jealousy or envy that we have for others that leads to a hatred. It says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And this is an interesting one because I believe it's such, a, it's such an empty place. Because when we covet, when we are jealous, when we want what other people have, when we see other people's situations as better, it's never satisfying. If you could get everything you wanted in that moment, you wouldn't be happy with it. It wouldn't be enough. Because it was never about that. It was about the jealousy itself. It was not about what you could get out of it. I think it feels good sometimes to be jealous because it's about us. And how the world is against us and feeling sorry for ourselves. How everyone else has it better. It's dangerous. It breeds quarrels and fights. And we'll just want more. And this leads ultimately to hatred. Which is a wicked sin. Especially in God's family. He goes on, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And, you may, and that you may spend, them, spend what you get on your pleasures. So first, he breaks it down. First, you want what you want is in the wrong places. You're coveting from other people. You're wanting what everyone else has. You're wanting what they have to offer. And of course, that's not going to satisfy you. You're not going to get anything out of that. And then you go to God. But you're not going to God because you want to have what He has, what His best for you is. You're going to God with your demands about how you, God needs to make your life like theirs. How God needs to give you what you want, what you need in that moment. You're going with wrong motives. It's all about you. It's all about your own pleasures. He said, so of course you're not getting that. God is not a fool. He's not a magic genie. Can't just rub the Bible and make a wish. Sometimes we'd like that. That's not how it works. God is a father. He cares and loves us and gives us what's best for us. So we may go to God and say, I I need a relationship. I need this. I need this stuff. I need what they have in order to be happy. And he says, no, you just need me. You just need me. And that's why you don't receive from me because you're not asking for what, what I have to give you. You're asking, you're making demands of me that isn't good for you at all and isn't going to satisfy you. All this, all this is birthed and rooted in this one lie that we've been told from birth that we're born into. A lie that's in our very nature and a lie that's against the nature and creation of God. 
And this leads to what I believe is the key difference between true and false wisdom. The lie that we've been told from birth is is this, that it's all about me. We've been told the lie that it's all about me. And the truth is, it's all about him. Everything is about God. God is for God. The Bible is about God. This might surprise you. The Bible is not about you or me. It's about God. Everything is about seeing him glorified. And again, there are just so many verses I wanted to dive into on this topic. There are mountains of verses. But I, I have grabbed three because I think they give kind of a different, some different images. You can come talk to me after. We can go on and on about how important it is to see God glorified and how that's the point. Not you or me, but God being glorified. And God is for God's glory. But let's first look at this. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So we're talking about wisdom. What is wisdom? What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. It's not talking about trembling in fear and being afraid of of God. It's talking about reverence. It's talking about understanding who God is, that God is mighty. God is creator of everything. God is holy. God is righteous. God is mighty to save. God is love. God is full of grace. We could go on and on. We need to understand God as God before we can understand any kind of wisdom. Everything is about Him. Everything comes back to Him. It starts and ends at God. He is He is, I am. He is the beginning and the end. Another image I find particularly interesting when talking about wisdom and talking about seeing the point that it's not about you, it's about God, is in uh, Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 is one that we go to very quickly for comfort. It's a very comforting verse. It's talking about going through hard times in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. I won't be afraid because I know you're with me. I know God is with me. You lead me on the right paths. But in verse 3 it says, He guides me along the right path for His namesake. Not for me, not because He owed me something, not because I'm just so awesome. Sodden, that's... It's for His name's sake. It is for God's name, for His glory, that He even helps me. And this is good news for me because I don't want it to be about me. I'm relieved to know it's not all about me. That's insane. If you even just try to grasp the wonders of creation for a split second, making any of it about you is just crazy. It's about God. And here in Psalm 23, we see that even in my weakness, as he guides me through the valley of death, as I'm in my lowest, it's not about me, it's about him. That his strength and his might is shown through my weakness, and then he is glorified in it. That's good news for me. 
because I win too. I don't lose in that situation. God comes in and strengthens me and I don't have to like try to hold up him. I can be weak because I know that he is strong and that he is glorified in that. It's about him. It's about his might, his ability to save me, his authority to to work in my life. Not about my ability to hold myself or my end of the bargain. I can't. I am completely without hope without him. And so even in my weakness, as he comes in, it's about his name. It's for his namesake, for his glory. Everything in creation is about him and his glory. Romans one twenty. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. I love this. I love being outside. There's some beautiful things out there. Mountains and forests and sunsets and all the animals. And then you have all of the vastness of the universe that we're even just barely able to grasp. I also find the ocean very interesting, which we know even less about than the universe. It's all amazing. And all creation exists to give God glory. And this includes us. We are his creation. And we exist. We were created to glorify God. So when we set ourselves up as most important, as more important than we should, as the center of our own little worlds, very little worlds, We're fighting against the very nature and the very design for which we were created. We're fighting against our purpose. God has designed the world this way to see his name glorified. And we can either be a part of it or we can rebel against it. And when we live for him, reflecting the glory of God in all that we do, it's going to go much, much better for us. We're walking, this is what walking in wisdom looks like. It's walking in our purpose to reflect the glory of God. This is our purpose to shed light in a dark world. And we can't do that by trying to be really bright, by making it about ourselves. When we make it about ourselves, we're not bringing anything out, we're not giving anything, we're only taking We're only taking. But when we live to see God's glory shine, man, we're going to light up the world around us. But that only happens when we walk in this purpose of seeing it about Him. And what is the result of living in godly wisdom? Verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. What would it look like? What would the world around us look like if we all lived with these qualities resonating through us and in us? Because these are so counterintuitive. They're counterintuitive and they go against our human nature and the human nature of all people. And it will always be that way. So... As long as we keep it about ourselves and our desires and our wants as most important, we can't see these traits really manifest in their fullness in us. Now, 
This is a process. It's something that we have to work on. But when we give God glory in all that we do and all that we think and all that we say, I believe we will see ourselves. We will become more pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Man, that that would be said about us as God's people, as God's church in Freiburg, in this city, and wherever we go, that those things would be said of us. What a testimony it would be to the world, a world that's self-absorbed, that says it's all about what you feel. Do what you want. It's not about anything else but you. A world that's full of jealousy and selfish ambition. What would they do if they saw these traits in us? Because who gets the glory there? Not us. It's easy to see that it isn't in our strength that these traits are manifest, but that they were created in us, built in us, as we walked progressively towards a life that's not about me, but about God and his name being glorified. If we go back to the start, verse 13, James asks again this rhetorical question, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. This is what the humility of wisdom looks like. Seeing it as not about yourself. This is a reoccurring theme with James. He's painting the same picture again. That it's how do we how do we know if it's if we're which kind of wisdom that we're uh, that we possess? Do we have a worldly and earthly wisdom or a godly wisdom? Well, he says as he does all through the book of James. Well, look at your actions. Look at the fruit. What are you doing? What are your deeds? Jesus reflects this in Matthew 7 when he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. So, you want to know which of the wisdoms you obtain or which of them you possess. Look at your own life. How do you react when you see somebody, maybe that you don't like that much, really blessed by God? What's your reaction? Is it, Hallelujah? (laughs) Or is there jealousy? Is there selfishness? I mess up with that. I know you guys are looking at me like you're really holy. I know we all struggle with this. It's hard. But let's keep on fighting it. Let's work towards this. Do we have jealousy? Or are we peace-loving? Are we merciful? Are we pure in our thoughts? He says, first of all, pure. Are we pure in our thoughts, in our actions, in our heart? Are we self-seeking? Are we full of selfish ambition or humility? The answer will tell you where your heart is at. Is it about me or is it about God and his name being glorified? But don't worry because there's nobody that it says James already, James already told us. We see it all through the Bible. Nobody's perfect. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're born into a fallen world. We're born with this. It's in our flesh. It's a part of who we are. We walk with it in this life. And we have to fight it. But 
I believe, as James showed with the progression of the, um, of the worldly wisdom, we can also see progression in our godly wisdom. Just taking steps. Am I making it about me or am I making it about God in this situation? And there's no uh, greater example than what Jesus said, I think, in Matthew 16, 24, pretty famous passage, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, it's us, we want to be his disciple, we want to be followers of Christ, when we call ourselves Christians, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Sometimes we get hung up on the take up the cross, you know, yeah, I'm going to take up the the burden of ministry, I'm going to plow through, I'm going to you know, but that can also be about yourself. But what does he say first? First, you need to deny you, deny yourself. You cannot pick up the cross of ministry that God's called you to. You can't move forward in your walk with him until you acknowledge it's not about you, it's about him. And I love this verse as a, a reminder for me all the time that it's not something that you just You can't decide today and then walk out of here and be done because you're still going to be in your flesh. You're still, it's still going to be a part of who you are. You have to do this every day, daily, deny yourself. Then you can take up your cross, the ministry that God's called you to, and then you can follow Christ wherever he sends you, wherever he leads you, whatever situation you're in. Deny yourself and follow him. So this is our progression This is our moving forward. That we wouldn't, because no matter what, we're moving forward in something. Because it's, as Christians, we have both within us. We have the Spirit of God. The Word of God is, is, uh, the laws of God are written on our hearts. But we also have our flesh, the sinful nature we've been born into. And we're always going to have that default of being selfish. So every day we have to decide, which one am I going to progress in? Am I going to progress from my earthly selfish and jealous ambitions into an unspiritual one, into a demonic one? Or am I going to go in the direction of every day seeing myself less and seeing him more? And I'm telling you, it's not like God's egotistical. You win in this. This is good for us. When we make much of God, God is quick to comfort us, to give us. This is how we have joy in trials it's all about making less of ourselves and much of him. And there's no greater example, again, than Christ himself. And as he was, I'll fast forward here, and I'll invite the band actually to come back up as we prepare for communion. As he faced the cross, something, the, the greatest act ever done in the history of humanity He says, not my will. It's not about me, but your will, Father. Your will be done. In this action and in the action of the cross, he shows us perfect humility, perfect submission to the Father, mercy for the lost, and in the end, he is the ultimate, perfect bringer of peace. So with that in mind, we want to, At the end of the month, we always like to take communion together. 
I want to, we'll, I'll invite you guys here in a moment to take communion with us. We'll all kind of just crunch up here at the front and uh, take communion together. But before we do, I uh, just want to emphasize that we believe, first of all, communion's not something that makes you forgiven for your sins. It's not something that's going to make you right with God today. That happened on the cross. That act is done through Jesus Christ and through Him alone. But we do believe in repenting of our sins because, as we talked about, we're born into a flesh. We're born into a sinful nature, and so we continue to mess up. And repenting is just about coming to Him and saying, man, God, I, I need you. I, I'm, I'm not good enough on my own. I, I, I see here where I'm messing up and I want to lay that at your feet. I want to lay that at the cross because I know it was at the cross that my sin was paid for. And so I want to give you guys an opportunity now. We'll take just a couple minutes, one or two minutes, three minutes, and I, you can kind of just take a minute to close your eyes to pray and just give anything that you're struggling with, any sins that you've been dealing with to God right now and go to him and confess those. And then after that, I'll invite all of you that would like, you can come up to the front and we'll take communion together.